following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. It doesn't take a miracle to be wise with money, but it does take faith and a plan. At Thrivent, we help millions of Christians be wise with money with advice, insurance, banking, investments, and generosity. Visit Thrivent.com. Thrivent, be wise with money. My name is Matt Perez. My name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. Hey, Satchel. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Doing all right. Yeah? Playing some Odyssey, you know. Oh, nice. I'm getting all the good nostalgia feels. I'm playing that, too. I'm playing that, too. I kind of sort of finished it, but, like, there's a gazillion other things to do, so I guess... Oh my god, so many moons. I guess I'll spend a, a good week or two on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same here, man. Yeah. So I've been thinking about something my friend is really passionate about. Uh, he's a teacher, and he really What's believes that? in video games as kind of like a learning tool. And not just Ooh. like edutainment games like that are, oh, this is a math equation. Like games where you know, you're unconsciously learning, or it maybe leads to you being interested in a new subject or something like that. And I've been thinking about Okay, I yeah. can see how that I could see how that works. I guess we can both kind of intimately see how that works. Mm-hmm. I get it. We've uh we've utilized that uh that YouTube world to share our thank you parts <laughs> with people. Our our big think pieces, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but no, like uh it is like exactly like I've I've do- actually done that without even thinking. Like I was like I just want to maybe talk about story and games. And I started making videos about story and games, but it, I didn't realize like, oh, this is kind of critical thinking. This is something that I would have done in English class. This is basically spark notes, but for games, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I, I know definitely one video in particular was, uh, I did one on Metagur Solid, the fifth one, which is the, the probably the craziest one. I think maybe you don't think it craziest will be cut cutsceniest yeah it's if that's a word <laughs> it just uh it goes off the rails near the end you know uh but i uh-huh. i committed to kojima was definitely touching himself <laughs> just a little bit yeah putting that together he was he was getting a, a little uh he was going off the rails absolutely uh but no it's a thing <laughs> of like that that's a series that anyone that's ever played it you know it's an espionage series if you don't know what it is a lot of sneaking um just a, it's it's like semi-goofy it's, 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 when I say semi, I mean like it's extremely goofy a lot of times. But then it'll do like a hard right into like, let's talk about nuclear proliferation. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> and it'll have these like gigantic long cutscenes where they're, the, the character is just describing like history and, uh, you know, nuclear. And you're just reading and reading. And you're like, yeah. what is happening? And they somehow wrap it into like, this guy that like floats with a scuba suit on and he can read your mind like it all it's it's something it's absolutely something uh but like i committed to like okay i want to like try to analyze metagur solid five story somehow and it was a thing of like well where would i start they constantly you know the game takes place um during the afghan soviet war so it's like all right, let's uh, let's look at what was happening in the '80s, and it's just like yeah. something I actually just never learned in high school was this war that happened, you know, a few years before I was born. You know, I never learned about yeah. it, so it's like, so what was happening here? And then you start seeing like how it was intertwined with the Cold War, which like in high school the Cold War went over my head. I didn't get it. Like 
because we spend so much time, um, like, God bless the teachers, like, they have to focus on, you know, the birth of America, and then they have to go into, it's like... It's a lot of content to go through, let, and then to distill it through the mind of a middle schooler is quite the task. Exactly, yeah. like, trying to get us on the same page is, like, so difficult, and it's a thing of, like, you have to focus on that, then you have to focus on the Civil War, that's kind of a big deal, and then you have to focus on yeah. World War One and Two. The, the second one, that was a big one, too, like... right. Then you get into the Cold War, and it's just like, by the time you get to that, like, semesters, like, the school period is over, you're graduating, uh, and you're rushing through this stuff to prepare for the AP test, you know? And it was this thing of, like, I'm playing Metal Gear Solid, and I'm, I'm now, you know, nose deep in books, like, uh, trying to figure, yeah. like, oh, this is starting to make sense. Oh, this is crazy. And, like, you're, like, you know, and then you start going, uh, another, um, section of the game is set in Africa and you're learning about the, um, uh, Angola war, a uh, civil war. And like, it, that's crazy to like all, and anything that like all the, um, colonialism in Africa is crazy. And like, it's just something that it all transpired because I played this, like sort of this game about sneaking around these little bases and like <laughs> putting balloons on people's backs so I can capture them, you know, like, Right, right. It's just, uh, I, I, I feel like... Um, you, don't even, you don't even think, oh, all of this crazy espionage, which is crazy, by the way, <laughs> and military-grade, like, stakes and weapons and context, it's all going to be a part of a complicated thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I could totally see how that gets lost. Yeah. But I think in my friends, like, uh, I think there's merit to what my friend says because of that, where it's... I think the the phrase is tangential learning, which I, I'm pretty sure that's okay. a thing. Um, but it's the thing of a uh, you know you I'll have something like a video game where you're playing it, and you, like I guess like the very simple idea of playing it is like oh it's fun, that's why you're doing it. But you know you get invested, and uh, you start if if you're like something like really invests you or grabs you and pulls you by the heartstrings or something, it, it might like spin you off to. You know, another thing, there's, you know, there's, it could even be as simple as, like, you're playing, like, a, um, you know, a game that's just, like, emotional, and it's just, like, a, a story you really enjoy, and it has no, like, historical context, but, you know, it might go, like, oh, there's actually, like, books that influence this. Um, I think we're both fans of, uh, of Tim Schafer. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... Psychonauts, like, the... Tim Burton fantastical essence distilled into a, a interactive experience was a phenomenal thing. And storytelling was like, it was my life. I live, I live. Mm -hmm. And like things like Grim Fandango, like yeah. hearing him talk about like all the ideas that transpired to create this like totally one of a kind game it's like oh he was reading a lot of raymond chandler books and it has it's obviously really influenced by day of the dead which is like the entire you know that's the whole conceit of the story is that you're a travel agent uh in the afterlife and it's like the yeah. idea i think he said like he was i uh, uh, inspired by the idea that like you know once you die you go to this place where you have to like be wary of thieves stealing your uh, your goods, and it's like that's a problem you have after you die. Like, right? And that's totally <laughs> and like that's just like it makes me want to learn more about Day of the Dead and Mexican folklore and things like that. And I don't know. There's so, there's something to it. I think of this this the idea of 
tangential learning and uh, uh, I mean it's essentially I mean tangential learning almost sounds like a really nice way of kind of saying or an academic way of saying like gateway drugs yeah you know what I mean that's like a good <laughs> oftentimes it just feels like like it's a gateway drug into caring about things like using something that I naturally care about or that I would like be interested in in an everyday basis as the medium by which to present new information. I, I don't think I really like I mean, I, I think about it time and time again, like with politics, I really didn't start getting involved in political issues until. Well, that's a complicated conversation, <laughs> Obviously. but I will say but I, I will say in a in a much more involved capacity and nothing nothing grabbed my attention quite like net neutrality and all the conversations around it, because here was something that we interface with every day, the Internet. In a in a in a huge capacity, and and one hundred percent, it impacts our wallet. And understanding like the concept of this weird reality where inter internet service providers are like at the will of like Verizon, and we're getting charged based on what we're watching, and like they're able to throttle speeds based on bureaucratic like backdoor BS. It all just all of that was something I could wrap my mind around as somebody who was involved in technology. And it pulled me into the political sphere in a kind of way. And I feel like in a similar way, um, if you can, like, kind of make the stretch, like oftentimes, you know, video games, I mean, art is always going to imitate life. Right. And like video games are always going to kind of do the things that art does because it is. And and sometimes they're going to be like either sociopolitical circumstances or 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 environments that in order to convey realism, draw from very real things that maybe the sort of author or author cares about, or maybe there's a book that they're reading, like, you know, Tim Schafer, for example. And through that, you're going to see things that you had never really experienced before, like nihilism in the Stanley parable, objectivism in Bioshock. These things will all come to fore. Only like classical thought is coming to mind right now for me, but you know, the, and I'm waiting for a game that's, that's inspired by Foucault, but all this stuff, like, um, it it almost seems like it on its own, it might kind of appear very boring or hard to reach. You know what I mean? Like watching a black and white film. But once you sort of have that context mm -hmm. um, of, of a language that you're familiar with speaking, it makes it a lot easier for you to take in new information. Yeah. It's even, I mean, it extends like what you said, it extends to like, I, I learned about, I tried to learn about the war of roses and it's because like Game of Thrones is very much influenced by that. And it's a thing mm. of like, um, you know, when you think of history, you think of like, I love history, but there, you know, it's, you sometimes fall into the rut of thinking of like these people as just like flat and they're just like, oh, it's just another Elizabeth kind of thing. But then you, you yeah. like maybe put this like, you know, frame of it of like, no, think of Game of Thrones. That's kind of like what it is, and then it's like, oh, that's yeah. that's exciting. Like that that would like it pulls me into like wanting to actually like wrap my head around the War of Roses, which is just crazy too. Uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. Or even like you know, Rick and Morty pulls a lot of multiverse theory into their narrative. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the crux of some of their most like engaging episodes. You have so many people who like think about and talk about like multiverse theory admittedly the sort of downside of having this pop culture gateway into some of some of these ideas is you get a lot of armchair philosophy so to speak and a lot of people who don't have a full idea of what's going on because they just saw 
you know, Rick say there's an alternate universe where I have arms for eyes and whatever. And, <laughs> and like, they just use that and they don't really understand anything around it, but still like yet. Yeah, and still it, it's really cool that that kind of stuff is like being brought to the fore. I have, a, I have, um, what the, um, one of one of my coworkers, he uh, he he loves multiverse theory. Ever since I met him, he's just loved like um, he's loved the idea of like these sort of alternate uh, like permutations of reality and like posing the question "What if?" And like the moment Rick and Morty came out, I knew that like he was gonna like love that and love everything around it. And he does. He like obsessed awesome. over it. And it's kind of cool. <laughs> That's awesome. So do you think it'd be odd if a teacher assigned their students to watch Rick and Morty and play the Stanley Parable before they jump into nihilism? <laughs> um, if a teacher actually did assign their students to play Stanley Parable, that would be amazing. That would be I absolutely think so. <laughs> amazing. Like that, and how how interesting the, like the conversations that would come out of it, like. There's something about the, there's something about data being cold in a way that people aren't that talking about personal experiences and stories carry so much more weight than just sort of objective empirical facts. Mm. And I think there's something to this sort of tangential learning. I think in addition to just learning cold information, there's something about it being introduced to you or unveiled to you through this everyday thing um, that now it becomes a story and it becomes a part of your story. You know, like me understanding the mind of Ayn Rand through exploring Rapture and seeing things go awry is a story in a way that saying, you know, man is entitled to the sweat of his brow is like just mantra. Is that making sense? No, it absolutely does. I I, I didn't even think of that like where – having like a discussion of like what you experienced is kind of amazing because that's definitely something that you would want, you know, in, in a lecture class in college, it's like people want to like uh, the professor wants you to participate and uh, bring out new ideas and have a discussion. But, you know, I think having like a catalyst, like a video game with a lot of choice and, or like a video game where, you know, your experience may be completely different than someone else's that really, is going to, like I think that really invites uh, discussion without it being like, you know, incredibly personal where people will like hold back or something. It's like, no, how did you play this game, kind of thing. What did you experience? And and that's and and that brings your like personal like feelings into it too. And uh, I that probably make people more engaged with the subject. I didn't even think of that. That's amazing. A hundred percent. It's almost like it's one thing for there to be information, whether it's right or wrong, is sort of up to the conversation you're having, roll the dice, but it's another thing to have information that's yours. And if you feel like it's yours, you can meet someone else who has it and sort of do this trade and something more intimate happens. I feel, I mean, the perfect example for something like that would just be within the context of religion. You know, I don't think there certainly are like fundamentalist dogmatic people out there, but I think part of what drives them to wherever they go every week or drives them on their knees in whatever personal practice they have is taking ownership of that information and allowing it to sort of be like a part of their story. Mm -hmm. And games let, games let people do that pretty easily. Pretty easily. <laughs> 
Yeah, just pick up controller, power button. So to explore the idea a bit more, we're going to talk to Jared Bauer. He's the co-creator of the popular YouTube channel Wisecrack. So Jared, thanks for uh, joining us. Um, can you actually like, just describe your channel for people that don't know? Sure. Uh, Wisecrack is a mix of comedians, academics, and uh, people that just overall appreciate critical thinking. And our main focuses are literature, education and analysis, um, media literacy, critical thinking, um, basically just... Um, you know, we try not to take ourselves too seriously. A lot of what we try and project is the idea that, uh, you know, uh, critical thinking doesn't have to be hoity-toity. It can be accessible and fun and uh, not super pedantic. And so, you know, we just try to open people's eyes to the a world around them through the things that they already love, like books, video games, movies, TV, etc. Yeah, and like um, your first like big... I guess, uh, series was Thug Notes. Can you tell us about that and like where the idea came from? <laughs> sure. So, uh, Thug Notes was, um, a, it was basically, I had seen on YouTube that there were really popular math channels or really popular science channels, but no one had really been able to crack literature. Um, and so I had a, just a funny idea. And then, um, through people I had worked with in uh, the film industry out here had, uh, introduced me to Greg Edwards and Greg actually has a history of teaching. He actually still teaches today. And so we met and hit it off. And I said, Hey, there's this, uh, basically I want to teach literature through a joke in that there is no joke. We're basically just teaching literature. Um, but you know, trying to make it as palatable and as in a way subversive as possible. And he was down and, um, you know, that was the thing that started the whole thing. Uh, you know, proving to people that we could teach about the most profound works of literature ever written in a very accessible, uh, very down to earth way. So we've been trying to think about video games as a learning tool. So like, what do you think of that? And uh, have you done that with your channel much? Sure. Um, so my expertise definitely lies within uh, narrative analysis. And, you know, there are certainly some games that have very strong, very interesting narratives uh, as well as, uh, you know, very interesting ways in which they play with the idea of interactivity. Uh, so, you know, we don't focus on games on the channel as much because, um, you know, in a sense, the games with really profound narratives that also comment on the medium of gaming itself are kind of few and far between. So, you know, like sure. the gold standards for us are like Bioshock. That was just a, a, such a pleasure of a video to make. A hundred percent. Uh, because it's a super, super smart game. There's tons of very deliberate philosophy sprinkled into it. Um, you know, we had a great time breaking down the satire of Grand Theft Auto V. But, you know, there are challenges. So, for example, uh, things that are super popular like Mario Odyssey or the new Zelda game, um, there's definitely insightful things to say about them, but those games are not games that are played for the narrative. And, uh, you know, the narrative is actually, you know, not very important in general. Right. And so it doesn't really uh, it's not really conducive to the kind of analysis that we do. Having said that, um, you know, our team is constantly growing and we are looking for ways to, um, you know, teach people and to be insightful about video games that is not dependent on, you know, more cinematic or literary narrative devices. 
Uh, yeah. one, one thing I, I 100% appreciate is that there is sort of this reach for creating an intersection between like these these more modern narratives and like I guess classical thought, classical like ideology. Um, so I work in tech, and because of that, like I really love watching Black Mirror because it's kind of like this weird, yeah, it's this weird like reminder of I might be on the wrong side of history, contributing to some odd dystopian future. But like setting that aside, um, the the episode in which you deconstruct um, Black Mirror and and compare it with with Guy Debord's kind of thoughts on spectacle, I'm, I'm curious to know. Um, when you guys are sort of, I guess I'm curious to know the the structure of like a typical brainstorming session. Like, how does Guy Debord even come to mind when you're kind of dissecting the ways in which Black Mirror conveys a story? Sure, um, it's very so. Uh, it's changed over the years. Now we've built a a team of writers that are all just people that I'm so proud of, and are all really insightful, very intelligent people. And basically, we have. Uh, just a constant brainstorm going on 24-7, basically. We have this messaging app called Telegram, and you know, which essentially is like AOL Instant Messenger or something, rest in peace, uh, <laughs> that uh, you know, you're able to create these chat rooms. And so we have a chat room going on 24-7 between all the writers and researchers uh, that we work with. Um, and so you know, these, a lot of, when you bring up a property like Black Mirror that you know, all these people are just willingly watching because they love it so much. It's just very easy to say, hey, you know, we're doing we want to do something on Black Mirror. Does anyone have any ideas? And the ideas just I mean, like just start flowing. And it's, uh, you know, kind of like a really interesting conversation going on 24 seven. And lately it's become very much of a community based thing to, you know, we all kind of throw ideas around and land upon the one that we think resonates the most in the past when it was a much smaller writing team, it was a lot of frantic reading and, uh, you know, frantic, what the fuck are we going to do? But uh, luckily, now that we have a really strong team, you know, with very diverse backgrounds in terms of, uh, you know, like the the things that they're educated in. It's been such a pleasure and such a learning experience for everyone because we're all learning stuff as we're creating these videos. That's great. And it's really easy. It's really easy to see that come through that sort of multidisciplinary ear for things going on. Yeah. So, I mean, with DeBoard, um, it was a matter of kind of what are the things that Black Mirror touches? And, and you know, whenever we try and do a philosophy of and it's either a whole season or a whole show uh, we try and focus on a something that isn't super Captain Obvious, and b something that is present in all of the episodes, or at least most of them. Um, and I thought I thought the spectacle worked eerily well <laughs> with Black Mirror. I was going to ask with uh like I've I've read that like people or, like professors and teachers have used your videos um to like jump into a course or jump into um, a book. Do you see that as um? you know, something that is, is valuable. And I do see that as like maybe video games would be used as an entry point into, you know, a higher concept. Oh, absolutely. To, to kind of give you guys just a crystallization of um, why I think this is so important and why this kind of learning has affected me. I mean, uh, so me personally, the, there's a single event in my life uh, that really just changed who I am. And that was when I was 12 years old and I saw The Matrix. Uh, that movie blew me away. And really just from the day before I saw The Matrix, I didn't consider myself a critical thinker. I didn't think that it was something that was important. The day after I saw The Matrix, I immediately wanted to know, you know, everything about philosophy that I could learn. And 
I think that there's nothing more powerful than, you know, because I don't think you can tell, you can't convince somebody that, uh, you know, by, I can't convince you that Nietzsche is cool to learn about just by telling you about his ideas. But if you already love something, if you love Rick and Morty, or if you love the matrix, and then I can use something educational to make you love it even more. I think that's really how you grab people. So once again, if you're in a classroom and you love Rick and Morty, but you don't give a crap about Camus or anything like that, Mm. And then you're able to understand Rick and Morty better or at least appreciate it more or gain an insight through these characters that you already care about. I think that that makes learning so much more exciting and so much more meaningful. Oh, 100 percent. It's a but sort of like just a kind of the kind of like logical conclusion of if something's important, it's impacting culture. If it's impacting culture, it's going to be in this kind of media we consume on an everyday basis. And it's cool that it's cool that you brought up Bioshock because, I mean, I feel like so I I mean I grew up with this crazy neighbor who like had me um reading like the fountainhead like just way too early but <laughs> it really wasn't until I played BioShock that like Ayn Rand's understanding or a kind of like ideal of uh, objectivist ideal it didn't solidify until I really kind of played through that game and understood some of the similar things so when when I sort of came back to that um to that material I had context with something that I already kind of naturally gravitated towards yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Well, Are they making also, a new Bioshock game? Like, what's the deal uh, with that? I think we're done. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah I think what Ken. I think the, uh, he moved on to a new studio. He moved and on. He might be working on a new game, but I, I don't think it's going to be a Bioshock game. I think they're making System Shock Three, which is like the spiritual like predecessor right. oh, of right. Bioshock. Playing on those. I vaguely remember games. that. I never played it, but okay. Well, you know, hopefully yeah. something. I mean, I'm all, I'm down with new ideas too, as long as it's of the same quality or even better. Hey, mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, Warren Spector might be leading the development, and he's you know he made Deus Ex, which is another like you know I guess like smart heady game. Like it's, it's yeah uh, yeah. So it's also like what we were mentioning before. Like I think there might be um, you have that like emotional connection to a game. Like I played Dark Souls, and like that like really i got like i got it and uh uh like i was also watching like true detective at the same time and i was like mm. oh let me like i i started comparing them and then i was like let's let's look up nietzsche and then like everything kind of made sense in that game where i'm like oh yeah, everything is hopeless like, like <laughs> i love those serendipitous moments of consuming media where you're just like wow you know th- these things are kind of commenting on the same ideas and then yeah like it makes you want to go down a rabbit hole and and learn something which is great yeah it's also i know um from my personal experiences like there's some I, like what satchel said like there's some subjects uh that you tackle uh that they don't like really make like a lot of sense in that moment like a lot of history um like sometimes it just like doesn't doesn't resonate or like it's it's a concept where like anything during the cold war kind of went over my head like you have to kind of like recontextualize like how you're thinking of things to like understand it, and like that didn't really hit me until I was playing like games that related to the Cold War, and then I started looking that up independently, and then it's like, oh okay, like things are making more sense than they were in high school, you know? Oh, like uh, like Fallout or something? Yeah, and like like Metal Gear Solid is like the crazy one, and you have oh, to like yeah. separate. Okay, what is? What's actually about the Cold War, and what is just Hideo Kojima going nuts here? Doing like, his yeah, thing. yeah. <laughs> we have not done Philosophy of Metal Gear yet because it. I mean, well, I mean, we want to. 
it would just be an undertaking to get right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Especially, I, I mean, there's it. so many yeah. games. All of them are so ridiculously dense. The video would have to be like an hour long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. So, like, you mentioned, um, you know, Greg has a background in education. Uh, have you, like, talked to a lot of professors and teachers about your channel and the idea behind it? And, like, what do they think about it? Hmm. I mean, a lot of the people that we work with, uh, a few of them are legit professors. A lot of them are teacher's assistants or grad students or on their way to becoming professors. We get a lot of emails from professors or teachers, um, but I haven't really spoken to – I mean, I, I, I'm just like an adult. I don't really find myself ever on a college campus. <laughs> so I haven't really – no, I haven't really engaged with any uh, professors that I can think of other than ones that we just work with. So the idea of like critical thinking, isn't that like in education, like a very tough topic to convey to a student? Is it easier to grasp in, say, a video game or through your channel? The, I, like understanding mm. what critical thinking is. The, the mission statement with, you know, originally with Thug Notes and now very much with everything that we do is that, uh, you know, you can learn about math, you can learn about science, and that's all extremely important. But those disciplines are not going to teach you or not going to enable you to make better choices or to consider the choices that you make in your life more critically. And I think that the ultimate goal with critical thinking is just to be able to see things from a new perspective and ultimately to be able to, you know, put yourself in someone else's shoes. I, I think that literature and, you know, other narrative forms like film and sometimes video games are the best way to get somebody to be able to look at things through another person's perspective. Mm-hmm. I hope that answered your question. No, yeah, absolutely. I was actually kind of the idea of empathy. I guess I feel like I heard a game designer called his name is Sean Vanneman. Um, he was talking oh, about how he's yeah, great. He's talking about like how uh, to just be a better writer. It's a it's a matter of just reading a ton because um, in reading you learn. It's like almost like you're exercising your own like capacity for empathy. Yeah, you are di- you are diving into somebody else's subjectivity. I mean, that's yeah. that's the entire uh, discipline of reading, and in some and in a lot of cases, watching a movie or uh, playing a video game. Video games, I think, are by the way, I think video games are definitely the most interesting uh, art form to be in in terms of uh, professionally and uh, artistically. Um, and it's yeah, it's just super interesting. And I don't exactly have my head completely around it. Yeah, uh, it's one of those things where maybe I'm like uh, painting too broad of strokes where it's like definitely there are games where it's like it's more of the experience of just like being on the rails of it. And then well, there's other well, it ones definitely where it's has like, to be the idea of like, I mean, the one thing that video games has that other mediums don't have is that interactive component, that sort of human agency component where if you are going to step into the shoes of somebody else and be empathetic you're more likely to take ownership of it because you're making decisions within it rather than just experiencing it. You know what I mean? Or rather than it just being kind of told to you in a kind of way. So there is something about that. that... Isn't that like the classic Roger Ebert reasoning for why he doesn't think video games are art? <laughs> I think it was really it was like a, a matter of authorship. It was like right. the creator doesn't have full authorship, thus... It is not, but art, they do. I they, I mean, they have full control over conveying an experience in which you play. Like, right? Like you are walking through the experience that they craft for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It's uh, it's one of those things where 
it's interesting the uh, idea of you like having almost like a conversation with the creator because definitely the creator when they're creating the world itself it's not simply some, something you like just walk through like they just made a hallway to make a hallway like it's designed in a certain way to either make you feel a certain way or convince you to do something that they want and it is this kind of weird back and forth that you have while playing a game which is i think right. exists in um in literature and film i think it's because you have you're literally pushing like an analog stick forward i guess, I guess it's more explicit yeah and we can point it out more easily and you yeah, even have I mean, an interesting sorry go ahead please oh no i was gonna say some of the most interesting things uh in general i think in bioshock infinite and recently i've been playing near automata is uh the way that a game developer or whoever is in charge of the dramatization or the whatever the story is uh has done a lot of interesting things with choice and you know choice is something that you can make a gamer aware of like that you can't really do with literature or film. So for example, in Bioshock Infinite, there's uh, spoilers, by the way, if you haven't played Bioshock Infinite, uh, there is that scene at the end where there's, uh, what is the female's name? I, I keep forgetting. Do you remember? Oh my Elizabeth? goodness. Uh, Elizabeth, yes. So there's baby Elizabeth in the kind of the, the baby, uh, what, well, in the baby the carriage scene, yeah. or whatever. And you're locked in a room there is a button you can press to take her out of the carriage, even though you know that if you do that, you know, it's going to spiral into some unfortunate events that you're trying to stop. But there's nothing else to do in the room. You can walk around. You can't open the door. There's nothing else to do. And so you ask yourself, well, why not just make it a cutscene? Why actually make the player press A exactly. and make the choice themselves? And, you know, uh, just like Bioshock had done with the first one in the whole uh, thing with Andrew Ryan telling you, you know, like a... Uh, a, uh, what is it? A slave obeys. Uh, a man chooses a slave obeys. Is that it? Yeah. 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 And so similarly, the game forces us to reconcile the fact that, you know, we have to choose. We have to press A. We have to accept the fact that, uh, you know, we are in this cycle. You know, there's right. there's like a sense of pain almost in realizing that, you know, you are a victim to this cycle in which you cannot escape. And that that in a sense puts you more into the mind space of, uh, I guess, what Comstock, you, you end up realizing yes. his Comstock, yeah, who, uh, you know, once again realizes he is in an inescapable loop. There is an interesting layer when you sort of, and I think that even kind of further disproves Roger Ebert's idea of, it, it almost seems like his ideal, like, definitive mode of art is it being incredibly authoritarian, and that's sort of where the value lays, but it, it almost seems like within the context of games, even just giving giving the option and having that authoritarian stance still communicates a message different from any film. And it's cool that you bring up that because what, what comes to mind for me is the beginning of Bioshock Infinite where there was a lot of controversy around like you not being able to choose whether you're baptized or not. Like you sort of having to like you sort of going through this whole sequence of like being baptized into into this. Uh, what is it? Columbia, you know, and you kind of just have to do it like the game's not going to continue unless you participate. And there is the same thing with like, isn't it? There's like a coin flip thing and it will always be. Isn't it like it's always heads no matter what? I think so. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's like, you know, it, it, that's just a way a game can uh, give you the experience of of like, you know, this idea of complete fatalism 
in a very novel and unique way that you can't do in a movie. So like, you know, the matrix revolutions largely talks about fatalism and you can listen to the dialogue and interpret it, but you'll never be able to actually experience fatalism like you can in a video game. It's also the idea. Like, I think what you mentioned, like the mechanics and how they interact with the narrative, there's a game called life is strange where um, it's all heavily choice based it's, it's like set in a high school. It's like kind of like Twin Peaks or like Twilight Zone. But like the whole conceit is that you can rewind time. So you can make a decision and then rewind it. But, um, and that, that like solves a big problem in games where it's like you make a choice and you regret it and you want to go back and fix it kind of thing and like yeah. reload a save. This just allows you to do it through the game and it explains it. Like this is a power you have. But as the narrative goes along, I don't want to spoil it, but like, um, it becomes like more obvious that like this thing that you have, like you're eventually going to have to like accept that you can't rely on it or, and, and you have to like accept regret eventually. And mm. it's just interesting how those things intertwine. Uh, Something the, like making the player feel pain is like, yeah, that's what it is. Right. <laughs> like it, it makes me think of like another, I mean, another example after that, we could probably do this forever. Like brothers where, I mean, spoilers, it's been out for a few years. Like, yeah, you, lo- you, pl- you play the whole game with these two brothers, you lose one of your brothers, you have to bury his body, and the act of burying is, like, this whole painful thing. It's like, why is this Does it here? make you, like, press X to bury, basically? Oh, you have to do each shovel, like, each shovel of dirt. Like, they, they elongate mm-hmm. it, and there's something about it. Like, you... Yeah, you, there's no way to... Explain. I love that. Words yeah. can't There's the aspect it. of... Uh... Like uh, the throughout the entire game, you're solving puzzles with two sides of the controller. The left side is like your little brother, and the right side is your big brother. And uh, then it's like near the end, it's like that side of the controller is done. Like oh, you only so use your one hand. Like you're just one handing for a while. I oh, see. I haven't played this game, but that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's like a, I guess an aspect of it uh, that uh, differentiates it, or however we're saying. I don't know. Did you have any more uh, questions? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, there's I think in all elements of life today there, uh, you know, everything is show business and there needs to be. An, and the, like, I mean, perhaps cynically, you could make the argument that like everything needs to be uh, everything needs to have an element of showmanship to it. And like, I just kind of think that we live in an era where unfortunately children, perhaps unfortunately, children will not uh, give up their attention span to a teacher like it's charity. Unfortunately, a teacher has to grab their attention. And I think that, uh, you know, forms of education like this, you know, at least try to grab the attention and incentivize kids to learn for reasons other than because your teacher told you to. I, I guess I perhaps cynically think that that authority is is kind of dying. I think that's totally fair. Mm-hmm. Almost like a meeting of a halfway. Right. I'm just thinking of little kids like you need to convince me. <laughs> it's yeah i mean it's not Real something man. i'm saying is good but i mean hell yeah <laughs> i think it's accurate yeah <laughs> yeah but great um right on yeah. thanks so much for joining us for this, this has been thank great. you for having me guys this was a lot of fun up next eric kane and paul tassi talk super mario odyssey and nintendo's huge 2017 i never planned on losing my job but we all know life can change in an instant And losing my family's health insurance was an even tougher pill to swallow. So I looked into Cobra, but too pricey. Then I found out I could enroll through Covered California, where I was able to choose from good health insurance companies I've actually heard of. 
I even got help paying for it. There's a limited time to qualify after losing your insurance, so check out CoveredCA.com today. Covered California. It's more than just health care. It's life care. Hi, I'm Eric Kane. And I'm Paul Tassi. We're going to talk about some uh, Super Mario Odyssey, the latest uh, smash hit from Nintendo. Nintendo is on fire. Uh, completely on just, fire Not just a smash year. hit, but one of the highest reviewed games of all time. <laughs> Actually, yeah. The only the only game that or Super Mario game that's reviewed higher is Super Mario Brothers three, and as we all know, Super Mario Brothers three basically Nintendo did everything in its power to to market that game. Like they they made a freaking movie about that <laughs> game called The Wizard with uh, Fred Savage in it. I mean, so there. I think there's maybe a little bit of bias. In the reviews for Super Mario. Also, Brothers back 3. then there was what, like ten major review outlets, and now there's eighty. <laughs> so, this is a little more disparate opinions. Yeah, yeah, and there's you know this ties with the, both Super Mario Galaxy games, which are you know comparable games in a lot of ways. You know, as a 3D Mario games. Um, I mean, there's a lot of Mario games out there too, and and most of them review pretty well. So it's it's it is pretty impressive that it's most of them are extremely good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they are. They're just, I don't know. There's some magic that really no other, I would say no other Nintendo property has that, that Mario does. And and I would say this, even though I love Zelda games, and I think that the Zelda this year was stunning, but there is just something about Mario. Um, Do you think that Odyssey is better than Breath of the Wild? You know, I think that there are things about it that are better. Like, it's it's got a lot more variety. You know, there's just so many different like little puzzles and areas to explore and secrets everywhere. But, you know, I think that ultimately, like, Zelda is more like my thing. Like, the fantasy, the... the, the I don't know. It, it, I, it's, it's so hard to say which one is better, like, in a, in a sort of objective way. I guess it doesn't really matter, but... No. Cause, I mean, they are just two of so the good. most incredible releases in some time. So that alone is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, what what would, do you have a favorite? I think I think Breath of the Wild edges Mario out a little bit because that was a game I easily sunk maybe 100 hours into whereas Mario I have about 15 and even though there's a lot more to do, I feel like I'm kind of done and some of the moon hunting is maybe starting to feel a little tedious unless I just start doing straight up YouTube walkthroughs for <laughs> Yeah. A lot of the moons. And at that point, it's like, why even bother, really? So, And I've, I've also kind of started to run into some endgame challenges that are a little more frustrating than fun. Uh, so I'm not super jazzed about those. But overall, I mean, my, my, my time with the game so far has been pretty incredible. And I'm yeah very blown away, blown away by most of it. And it, it feels like kind of one of the most significant achievements since, since Mario 64. And it feels like a direct sequel to Mario 64 yeah. in a way that even kind of you know, the Galaxy games or these other games have not. So that's what Yeah, I could cool. see that. I, I also love the outfits and stuff and just like, I, like just, just sort of how it sort of organically unfolds, how, how each level changes after you beat the boss. Just, you know, and I'm, I'm far from finishing the game. I, I really spent a lot of time just exploring these big open areas. So I think that, that has, I should probably kind of just try to get through it a little quicker, but I think that's kind of the fun of it too. Maybe is just like taking your time with it. I, I don't know. Like it is, but yeah. It's, the thing is, like these levels keep changing. So like you can explore a level to your heart's content, but if you don't kind of beat the level and then change the level, you're you're 
you won't be able to find a lot of like kind of missing moons. Right. And then right. once I you beat the whole the game, way. then there's even more <laughs> moons that are dumped into the levels. Yeah. Uh, so then you you really have to explore them. So it isn't kind of until you get to the the ultimate end game that you can really track down all the moons. Because I'm sure a lot of people have looked at their their moon list and been like, "What? There's 70 moons on this map? Yeah, <laughs> are you kidding?" And a lot of those just won't kind of show up until later. So you kind of have to make the decision to move on. I think some something that I really love about it is like, well, like I, I was exploring the tree level, and you know, at one, you know, at different points, you're you you go over the edge of a cliff or something, and there's the secret, and then you're doing like the little acrobatic secret platforming area, and then you go and you find a little like area that lets you into the two D gameplay, like you're back in the original Mario Brothers game, and it's just constantly like moving between these different play styles and imaginative gameplay ideas and. I just I do think that that is really tremendous. I, I, I don't know. It's it certainly deserves all the praise it's been getting. I even like the motion controls just fine. So I don't know. That's that's kind of surprised me. It but. depends. Those are those are hit or miss for me. They, they've been okay with my pro controller. Like even shaking that kind of larger thing in handheld mode, they are pretty bad. They really? just don't. I haven't tried that. They don't function as intended, and that's that's a bummer because it, a lot of people just purely play Switch in handheld mode. And but when you map like really important skills like the spin throw to be primarily mm-hmm. you know motion control based that can be problematic. But yeah. generally, I haven't really. It, it's certainly better than you know furiously waggling the Wii or something, <laughs> like in like in past games. So this is it's it's one of the better examples of motion controls actually working. I just wish there were kind of easier alternatives where you didn't have to use them if you didn't want to. Yeah. No, I I think that that's that's true. Um. I haven't actually played it in handheld mode yet. I've just been playing on the TV. I just did at the very end, and it really is it, – it's significantly different. And there's a lot you can still do in handheld mode, but just during certain segments, like boss fights, I found really hard because I used the spin throw a lot in boss fights, and it was almost impossible to <laughs> consistently yeah. pull off in handheld mode. So that was a bit of a bummer, but it's not like a game-breaking issue, and like I'm, it's not something that's going to like knock a point or two off the final score or whatever, but – it is, it is, I guess, a little bit of an oversight, maybe. I think there's there's quite a few mechanics available as Mario, and that, that's one thing. I, think, I don't know if... It's been a while since I've played other, you know, 3D Mario games, but, like, you know, you can roll, you can do the spin throw, you can do the, the homing throw, you, you have all these different, like, like, the hat jump. There's just so many things Mario can do, you know, and, and I... I is it, looking back at previous games, has there been a game like that with so many it, different? A lot movements? of the moves are are reminiscent of like Mario sixty four, but they've they've kind of layered on this additional mechanic with the hat throwing, uh, which is you can use that to jump and you can do all this kind of crazy stuff uh, with the hats. And a lot of that is motion based, but some of it isn't. So, you, yeah, I've already seen kind of speedrunner people doing these kind of crazy moves where you throw the hat and then warp to the hat and then jump off the hat. <laughs> And I think you can kind of yeah. do some some pretty advanced stuff uh, if you really learn the controls. But I was still learning new moves at like 250 moons. Like, oh yeah, after it I seems like game. It. like I found a sign. They're like, oh, you can like dive forward in the air to get more you know hang time. I'm like, oh really? I had no idea. <laughs> so you 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 keep learning stuff as you go. But one thing I like yeah. about it is in in this happens with Breath of the Wild too, and I think it's it's one of the reasons that's so good. But it's a game where it kind of anticipates all of your exploration and reacts accordingly. Like 
every time I've been like, I wonder what's like over here, like around this corner or like way out on that platform uh-huh. in the middle of nowhere. Or there's like a level where there's just fog and you can fly around as like a flying Goomba. And I just keep crawling around the edge of the map and finding secret after secret that are just, yeah. it's anticipating that you're going to push the bounds of each level and like get to some crazy places that you probably shouldn't even be able to access. And they still put rewards there, whether it's moons or coins or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that has been, I, I have never been let down by the amount of stuff I've, I've kept discovering in these levels. And the fact that I've done this much across, I don't know, like 10, 15 levels and have like 250 moons and there's still like 250 more moons. It's, yeah. it's hard to even fathom. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it is. And I, I think, you know, part of the, the game design philosophy for Zelda for the most recent Zelda was, you know, this idea of like, we have to include something going on no matter where you are all the time. Like there, you, you're not just going to walk to some empty place. There's going to be something to do everywhere. And and this game, maybe because it's not just one giant open map and maybe because it's more of a platformer than a, than an adventure game. I think, yeah, it packs in even more. Like it's literally everywhere you go, there's something <laughs> like, it's it's it is really it is something that Nintendo does so well and I and I do want more developers to think that way. You know, I want them to think like what can we do to always make our game interesting, surprising, uh have secrets, have shortcuts, you know, have have these things that astound players. I I, I love that philosophy and they just do it so damn well. It, it's this is like a at the same time it's like you know, the Wii U had some good games, but these games are are, are just in another league. I feel like, yeah, both both Breath of the Wild and Odyssey are are two of Nintendo's best in a long time, ever, a very long time, yeah, yeah, if if not ever, yeah, definitely, and it's just kind of amazing that they haven't lost that magic, and you see this a little bit across other developers, like I think some of the other open world games that are also beloved do this well, like you could keep exploring in Skyrim or The Witcher Three and keep finding new stuff that was kind of significant. But then mm-hmm. it's it's the more generic open world games, like um, maybe like because some of the older Assassin's Creed games where you're not really going to find anything new. You're going to find like a collectible or something if you're if you're exploring. But it's not like a puzzle or a, a new quest or something. It's just pretty basic. But I think once people kind of master the idea that open worlds kind of have to be creative and able to be explored for a long long time then that ends up creating a lot better games and no one has yeah. done that better than nintendo this year yeah yeah it's because i do i mean i i really find myself getting bored with a lot of open world games and it doesn't take but it just doesn't take a whole lot to make it more engaging to make that right. space well, even, more even on the good open world games like i would reference horizon mm-hmm. zero dawn like that was a really fundamentally good game like the setting was good the characters were good the story was good the action was good but it did not have that kind of x factor where i never i almost never went places in that game and was surprised by something i found it was just kind of like oh it's just a new enemy encounter you know Mm -hmm. except there's three enemies not two enemies this time and that to me kind of makes it lacking whereas these other games kind of shine through that and i've even in assassin's creed origin They've since they've been borrowing so heavily from The Witcher Three. I think that's another game that has done that pretty well, but obviously yeah. not as well as Mario. Well, no, um, and it's it's such a different kind of game. But I mean, I think it could do more like that. And I, but but it does. I mean, it, I really have been impressed with Origins, and 
uh, and its open world is is quite striking, actually. Uh, I mean, it's beautiful, and the, the setting is so detailed and, and lush and huge. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't feel like I definitely don't feel like I'm bored with it ever. I, I mean, it's not necessarily as exciting as like the levels in Mario, but it's still a very engaging world that feels very real. I, I actually felt that way about Black Flag also. I loved going out in the ship and like sailing to different islands and things like that. Yeah, um, definitely. Swimming down to find treasure. And so, yeah, I, I think that open world became sort of synonymous with big open space with lots of little things to go and do, but nothing that was very exciting or fun. You know, like you'd, you'd, you'd have to go and find X number of, items or skin X number of creatures to craft this thing or that thing. But it was all kind of like the same. Just everything was very similar. It was sort of repetitive all the time. That sort of MMO quality almost. Yeah. And now I think that that, that that bar is being raised. And it's it's largely, I think, thanks to like The Witcher 3 and uh, Breath of the Wild and games like that. You know, they're, they're yeah. pushing and the envelope. When games don't do that, it's, it's really noticeable. Like I, I'd say the most recent example would be Shadow of War where yeah. you can play that game for 40 hours and it's still just fundamentally like disrupt this orc party, you know, kill, like take over this orc general. It, it's it's the same stuff you're doing in the first kind of five hours just repeated for 80 hours. And and, and it doesn't need to be because the, the gameplay itself, the, the mechanics are pretty good in that game and they could be doing so much more interesting stuff with the world. Yeah, but, you know, but it, it relies yeah. too heavily on kind of the nemesis system, and it's just. But the open world itself ends up being kind of really lacking, and it is still that kind of collectible based, like no interesting side quests kind of thing. Whereas right. the bar has just been raised by all these other games, and then when you don't do that now, you feel out of place. Yeah, and it's great. That's how games change. That's how you know the the evolution occurs, and and I'm so. I mean, here's. You know, when a couple of years ago everyone was saying Nintendo's dead, you know, Nintendo should start making games for Sony and Nintendo should... You know, I'm glad they stuck with it. <laughs> I really am. I'm glad that I they mean, stuck... I'm glad they went into mobile because I think that was smart. But I'm glad that they went and, like, decided they were just going to make some great games on a on a system that was fully Nintendo. I maintain that... I, I still think that Nintendo could do extremely well just being a software publisher. And instead of, you know, 4 million copies of Mario being sold, you could have 25 <laughs> across yeah. all systems. Because there isn't anything fundamentally that the, like the Switch requires to be, <laughs> you know, used exclusively for Mario. And like I've been playing with a Pro Controller, which is essentially an Xbox controller. Right, and you could have it on other systems, but I but mean, the, I, I'm not going to say that. Back when it was the Wii U, it was a little more like, okay, Nintendo has lost their way, and I, I the Switch is amazing. The Switch is a great system, but I still think if Nintendo wanted to, they could also be doing just fine as a software developer on, you know, these other systems. And I don't think their hardware is like 100 necessary for the success of Nintendo, no, even though that's it, well, not their legacy. But they definitely, you know, when, they ha- when they're selling the hardware and the software, are, they're making good money on that. You know, they're not sharing any profits with Sony. They're, you know, you, you can't buy, that you, you have to buy a Switch to play this Mario game. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's definitely a, a good setup for Nintendo if they're selling both hardware and software. And I think the Switch is going to be a massive hit, honestly. Yeah, it's gonna. I, mean, be, I think it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be huge. Once they can pick supply up, it's gonna be. Yeah, 
probably close to the Wii, I think, in the long run. I don't know. I mean, not. it's selling as strong as the Wii, if not stronger, yeah. and it could easily. And, and that it could eclipse the PlayStation 4, for all we know. And that would be quite... I mean, maybe not, but it could. Well, and this and then you're gonna... before, it's kind of collapsing in where it's also essentially going to be Nintendo's mobile system. And we already mm-hmm. know that the next Pokemon game, the right. next generation, is going to be on Switch. Yeah, there won't be any more 3DS Pokemon games. Kind of a whole new level. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, and 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 you've got this potential for selling multiple units in in the same household because you know it it serves as a portable and as a uh, a TV system. It, I mean, families with more than one kid, I can definitely see. Just like with the 3DS, multiple units per household, and that's huge. I mean, because Sony's probably only going to sell one PlayStation per household. But Nintendo could easily sell two or three switches. I mean, that's just over time. They they could they could easily do that. Plus, especially with like you know people wanting to get the bundles and stuff. I, I just it's it's a monster just like emerging, and it's it's awesome. I think it's great because we're getting games like this, you know, and they're they're pushing what we expect out of quality and game design. I mean, e- you know? these games are so good that even if these were like the only two games on the Switch, it would still be worth probably 200, 300 bucks. If they're oh, yeah. that good and that worth playing and you will get several hundred hours of enjoyable playtime just out of those two titles alone. In addition to everything yeah. else that's on the Switch too. Yeah, I'm just I'm excited to see what else comes to it. I mean, I know you've you've said this, I know Dave said this, I've said this, but like I love it when a game comes out on the Switch because I love playing on that thing. I love being able to take it with me. I love. I, I wish. I wish I could play. You know, more games on the Switch. You know, I, it's. It's it, even though it's not as powerful as as the PlayStation. Yeah, Xbox. I mean that's the ultimate dream is is an era where I could also be playing. You know, Assassin's Creed or Wolfenstein on the Switch and just taking it on on to go. And we're. I mean, we're starting to see like Doom is on Switch now, but I don't know if we're going to get to the point where it's like a simultaneous switch release right. because that doom is coming out what a year later or something yeah and that's kind of been nintendo's mo for big third-party games we're like all right the original console and pc copies have shipped like now we're going to spend a year working on how to adapt this thing for the switch and that's yeah. fine but at that point all have already played them extensively in another system so like i'm not going to get doom on the switch and it is yeah. it is kind of tough to justify the switch as your only console because there's just so many other games that you, you cannot get immediately on the Switch. Um, so that is that is maybe the only kind of issue with it at this point. But even for yeah. Nintendo's games yeah. alone, it's it's still strong enough to be totally worth it. And there's a lot of indie stuff, and... And that's nice. I mean, I think definitely some of the some of the indie games coming on that, I, I'd rather play on the Switch. Because they're not, like, graphical powerhouses they're just little platformers or you know little things well, even, like even that something as simple as minecraft on the switch like for yeah. an entire generation of kids like that's it that's all you need <laughs> and that's you know another 500 hours of playtime <laughs> just by itself yeah i'm excited to see like more rpgs and things like that come to the switch too i just think there's a lot of i mean we haven't seen like whole genres yet there and i think they're gonna i think they're gonna be awesome so in short, um, Nintendo is amazing. <laughs> yeah, Nintendo is amazing, and it's it's lovely to see the headlines change from like doom and gloom to like oh, oh my god. Headlines written <laughs> by me specifically <laughs> switched over from that in the last year. <laughs> if you could, if you could pick one more Wii U game to port over to the Switch, what would it be? Oh man, 
Star Fox Zero. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my god. <laughs> Nintendo is not always amazing. Honestly, just if they that. got rid of the motion controls, it might be okay. But <laughs> no, maybe, yeah. They wouldn't do that though. Yeah, I'm not even sure. I just was like so down on the Wii U games at this point. I don't even oh, I just I just you, rather I have, one. have them make new ones at this point. I would like them to put Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze on the Switch. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I like that. That's a good one that didn't even use the second screen at all. Yeah. So it's just perfect. You know, it's the perfect game to bring over to the Switch. I know it probably wouldn't, like, sell bazillions of copies, but I love the Donkey Kong games. They're so much fun. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're so hard. That's a hard game, but... uh, I went back and on the SNES Classic, tried to play, like, Donkey Kong Country, and I just got demolished (laughs) for, like, two hours. I think Tropical Freeze is actually harder. There was there was one level on that that I think I played it for an hour and I couldn't beat it, you know. And that this was a ways into the game, but I just kept dying, kept dying so hard. <laughs> um, so I, I yeah, I would like to have that game so I can give it another crack. But um, yeah, all right, well, uh, yeah, Nintendo's amazing. Thanks for listening. Um, go play Super Mario Odyssey if you haven't played it yet because it's rad. That's it for this episode of World. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. It's the semi-annual sale at Mattress Firm. For a limited time, get huge savings of up to $500 on our top-rated mattresses. We have more than 15 beds with over four-star ratings on sale store-wide. Like our fan-favorite Serta Memory Foam Queen mattress, now just $397. You won't find this deal anywhere else. But hurry in, this sale ends Tuesday. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com sale. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.